name's Jason, and uh, some of you know I actually grew up in this church. In my current capacity, I am a regional ambassador with International Child Care Ministries. Now, I had learned about ICCM as part of uh, First Church as a kid, but how many of you have heard of or perhaps have sponsored a kid through International Child Care? Lots of you. Great. Well, thank you so much, and on behalf of the kids, thank you, because your uh, monthly financial investment literally is life-changing in lives. Oh, Donna, Donna, I was thinking, remember, it was this sanctuary where I preached my first sermon, and afterwards, Floyd all my heresy. <laughs> oh, in part, I'm glad. Maybe we need him to, uh, to correct me. Hopefully, I've come a ways from then, but no guarantee. I was thinking about that this morning. Yeah. <laughs> well, it wasn't neat at the time. Uh, International Child Care Ministry is our free Methodist child sponsorship uh, opportunity. I know there's lots of groups out there that do it, Compassion and World Vision and whatnot. And whoever you uh, may sponsor a kid through, thank you, because it is life-changing. But what I love about International Child Care you want to preach, sister? Oh, try to drown me out? That's, I'm with you. Oh, sorry. No, I appreciate it. You're Madonna? Yes. Whoa! You have not aged well, Madonna. The rock Come star. On. Come on. Do you have a last name? Owen. Owen. Oh, see, yeah. you need to do like that musician, just to have one name. Oh. I tried to sneak up here to do this. Did your parents give you Madonna as a name? Yes. Were they of Catholic background? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. I was wondering how you'd get that. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I'm glad you're here. Oh, I can... Thank you. Come over here, Madonna. Yeah. <laughs> We've just led Madonna to Jesus. If you'd like to join her, come forward, brothers and sisters. How old are you? 72. You're a liar. <laughs> How long have you worshipped here? Uh, going on my fourth year. Well, very good. Yeah. Well, that's delightful. Do you know who... who how did you get here? Somebody invite you? Someone or you invited just staggered me. in? Or? Yeah. That's how I got here. I just, the door was open. Well, actually, it wasn't open. Someone invited me. I should have taken that as a clue, Madonna. The door was not open when I got here. Oh. <laughs> Maybe there was a reason for that. Well, uh, you got anything else you want to share? No. Oh, well, thanks That's for coming. Good. I'm Thank so glad you. you're here. <laughs> Sorry. Bob. No, no. Everybody feeling well ventilated? I'm good. Well, please stand for the benediction. Anybody else? Just come on down. I'm used to preaching with distractions. I have two boys, so I know that. But um, see, Madonna, you just threw everything off here. Lucille, did you? Did Lucille, come on down and share a word of testimony with us. No, 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 no. <laughs> Only if the offering's good do you get to share secrets. That's true. That's true. Did you have a red station wagon too? Or somebody had a red station wagon? You did. Yeah, I remember that old station wagon. Yeah. Lucille was the director of, of the daycare, which is how my family first got involved here. So sadly, some of her stories are true. Now there, okay, 
There are people I pray that will have Alzheimer's, sister. Okay, last one. Yes. Yes. Nan was the best. Everybody wanted to be in her class. How old would she be now? She was born, I think, in about 1946 or 48. So even she's old. Older. Uh, I, I remember those, uh, those days. Um, we might as well just go. I saw there were cookies out there, so what's the point? No, actually, International Child Care Ministry, what I love about that is it's part of our free Methodist family. And uh, it's large enough that it reaches around the world. In fact, we're ministering in 31 different countries to more than 20,000 kids. But yet it's small enough that uh, there's direct connection. Uh, part what I mean by that is that all those 20,000 kids are connected to free Methodist churches like this one somewhere around the world. It through a school or an after-school program or a feeding program or even the uh, daughters of pastors serving around the world. So we have a real touching connection into their lives. But I recognize that you didn't come here today for an infomercial and you didn't come here for the Jason Armstrong blooper reel. But you're here to, uh, to hear from God and what he has to say for us from his word today. And so it's my prayer that uh, we can look together in God's word. But as we do that, I'm going to be talking about kids, but that connects with all of us at, at lots of levels. In fact, many of you I know are parents or are teachers or have been teachers, have had more kids through your life than you can probably remember. Uh, of you that are grandparents here, who has the most grandkids? What do you have? Eighteen, good grief, and she only spawned two. And I know those two. What are you? Twenty-two great grands. She could end up with like forty greats. So, uh, do you? Ha- you don't have any greats yet, I pray. Do you? Oh. Whew. Anybody beat eighteen grands or twenty-two greats? Now, I, I pastored in Anchorage, Alaska for a while. We had a, a woman in our congregation. She was a Filipina, and she had 72 grandchildren. I, I don't think I could even remember 72 people. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, so she always won Mother's Day contest. But You're sharp. You're sharp. It's all those meds you've had access to these years. Right? You're sharp, I tell you. I, when I grow up, I want to be as sharp as, as you, Grandma. We used to, your granddaughter was about my age, so we'd always have late night parties at, at Dolores' house, only because she was the poker dealer, so we... Oh, you're... Some card game or something. I was just thinking about that the other day because I read a story about how you can get water poisoning. And I thought that old lady was trying to kill me. Yeah, yeah. Can, can we go on with the word of the Lord? Because I'm good. I don't know. All these people who don't know me and don't give a rip, they don't, know, they don't care. We'll just converse. We'll share over cookies. Okay, if you would stand for the benediction then. 
Uh, actually, so all of us have kids in our lives, right? In some capacity or another, whether you birth them or or you know them or they live next to you. And God cares about kids. I mean, I think if we were to take a poll, most of us entered the world that way. And God seems to have a plan that for us as kids. His own son, Christ, entered as a little baby there in that manger with his mother, Madonna. <laughs> but let's be honest now. Whether we're thinking here in Spokane or we're thinking Burkina Faso or we're thinking Manila, is the world a safe place for kids today? No. There's a lot of challenges out there. Whether it's the stuff that's lurking on the computer screen, or it's the other kids at school as we get ready to start tomorrow. These gentlemen, I can tell you're ready for school, aren't you? <laughs> if you come into the classroom with that kind of enthusiasm, your teacher will be underwhelmed. Uh, or whether it's the, the violence that we tragically hear about daily, or it's kids starving, or lack of medical care, or drinking water, whatever it is. It's not a safe place to be a kid these days. But let's think a little more. Even though we know that today, three million children will die this year from malnutrition. Even though we know that millions of kids are trafficked into slavery, whether in forced labor, domestic service, or prostitution, or whether it's the 66 million children who will go to school hungry. And when they do that, their brain doesn't have the nutrition to develop properly, and they're going to end up stunted throughout life, making learning a challenge. Or if it's that every day in this world, 13,500 children will die from preventable diseases like pneumonia, malaria, measles. It's not safe to be a kid today. But has it ever been? No. We may have some new threats added to the list, but it's never been a safe world for kids. I know often we like to reminisce about the good old days, but even the good old days weren't so good. Or think even farther back. Let's ask Joseph and Madonna, Mary, was it a safe world to bring Jesus into? No. People breathing murderous threats trying to kill that little guy. Or, or go back even farther. Should we ask the parents of, of Moses? Was it a safe world to bring a kid into? No. We're going to look in Scripture today at that story. But think if you know that story with me first. Moses. Little kid. He's born. It's not his, his fault. But he was born in the wrong time, the wrong place, the wrong nationality, the wrong religion. Because everything was stacked against him. In fact, if you have a Bible and you want to turn there with me, you're welcome to. We're in Exodus chapter 1. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, so you're welcome to just uh, listen along as well. But you may know the story. The Israelites are in Egypt. They're in slavery. Things have not been going well. But Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, well, he's a little threatened. He's feeling 
frightened because these Egyptians, they're starting to reproduce and there's a big group of them and he knows it won't take much for a revolt to develop. Well, starting in chapter 1 at verse 22, let's pick up the story. It says, so Pharaoh, out of his fear, he gave this order to all the people. I want you to throw all the newborn Israelite boys into the Nile River, but you may spare the baby girls. Now, he just didn't want them to have some ceremonial bath. You know what lurks in the Nile River? Nile crocodiles. And these weren't babies that had water wings on. His plan was to eradicate them, to do away with the threat before it had a chance to grow. It was the exact same thing that King Herod would do hundreds of years later when he heard there might be a new king being born. Go down and kill all those boys. Okay, then into chapter 2. So during this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi, they got married. And the woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw what a beautiful baby he was and She kept him hidden for three months, and when she could no longer hide him, she got a little basket made of papyrus reeds, and she waterproofed it with tar and pitch, and she put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the edge of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. And soon after this, one of Pharaoh's daughters came down to bathe in the river, And her servant girls walked along the riverbank. Well, when the princess saw this little basket among the reeds, she told one of her servant girls to to get it for her. As the princess opened it, she found a baby boy. Now hit pause for a moment. So this young couple has a son. They already have an older child. We know that from the girl who was watching at the bank. But now they know the king's rule. Sons must die. Well, what mother could bring themselves to do that? And so they're trying to hide him. But if you've had kids in your life, you know you can't hide a newborn baby for very long. Pretty soon they start screaming and moving, and they're a little harder to conceal. So my hunch is that Moses' mom and dad were getting a little nervous because one of the neighbors are going to hear him crying. Somebody's in the market's going to see him, and they're going to rat him out. So they figured a way around this. They would abide by the letter of the law. They did throw him in the Nile, asterisk, in a life raft. Sounds like a good thing for a mother to at least try to do, to salvage her son's life. God's divine plan brings that life raft right down to the steps of the palace, as they go down to the Nile, and we hear the story, you're maybe familiar with it. If I had a flannel gram, I'd put that up here. And you'd see the, the princess, Pharaoh's daughter, going out to take her bath. And she sees the basket over there. So she sends one of her little minions to fetch it and bring it to her. And she takes that lid off. Now, before we go on with the story, in that instant, when she removes that lid and sees this baby boy, in fact, Scripture tells us she could tell it was a Hebrew boy, she had a split decision to make. She was faced with some options. One of those options would be to remember daddy's rule. These Hebrew babies have to die. And what she probably should have done would simply be to take that basket over 
praying that that baby would fall into the river, sink beneath the water, and become crock bait. If she was obedient to daddy's rule, that's what she should have done. But she had some other options, and all of this, in a split second, she had to weigh. Another option would simply have been to have replaced the lid and let the basket go on downstream. No harm, no foul, I'm not going to be involved, not my problem, even though she knows what waits downstream. This baby in the basket is going to be like Meals on Wheels, if you will. It's going to be a snack for the crocodiles upstream, downstream, whichever way the stream flows. She could have done that. Not my problem. I'm not going to be involved. Or she could, and as we'll go on, you'll find out, not to ruin the story for you, sorry. But she chose to defy daddy's rules and to take that baby as her own. And in so doing, she became of God's divine conspiracy. What incredible irony here. If you know the rest of the story of how Moses' life develops, the one that God chose to deliver his people from slavery ends up being raised in the very family that's the problem. Isn't it amazing how God works? Well, that is the decision she makes. And in fact, let's pick it back up in chapter 2 at verse 6. His helpless cries touched her heart. Listen to that phrase. Her helpless cries touched her heart. And she said, he must be one of these Hebrew children. And then the baby's sister approached the princess. Oh, should I go and and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Oh, yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl rushed home and called the baby's mother. Take this child home and and nurse him for me, the princess told her. I will pay you for your help. So the baby's mother took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when he was older, the child's mother brought him back to the princess who adopted him as her son. And the princess named him Moses, for she said, I drew him out of the water. His helpless cries touched her heart. As a mother, as a parent, you can probably recognize that. You can identify that with that. Even in those sleepless nights and you're at your wit's end, when you hear your baby's helpless cries, it touches one's heart. And may that be my prayer for us. That as we hear the helpless cries of today's kids, whether they're in your own family, on your block, in the school down the street, or somewhere around the world, may our hearts be touched by that. May we be moved by compassion to recognize the God image that is branded into every little face, regardless of its skin color, the language that that child will speak, or where in the world they live. They're made in God's image. And he calls us to care for them because of that. Back to the story I love again, the irony here. So Moses' older sister is watching from the reeds. Princess draws the baby out and she goes up and says, Oh, and I think with a wink and a nod, would you like me to go find a nurse for the child? 
Now, where do you find a lactating woman on a moment's notice? Well, there's probably some websites that help with that, unfortunately. But in that day, it would have been the child's mother. Think of this. Not only does Moses' life get spared, but now daddy, Pharaoh, is actually paying to raise him in a Hebrew home. How incredible is that? Well, I pointed out earlier the likelihood that all of us entered life as babies. And it seems to be God's general path that he uses babies who grow up into men and women as part of their plan, part of his plan. Think of it, with Moses. Well, think elsewhere in Scripture with me of Esther, who yet again delivers her people. Or into the New Testament, we think of God's son, Christ, or Paul, or in down into our own day of the teachers or the doctors or the pastors or the parents whom God uses. They all started out as babies, but God had a plan that he would work in them and through them to speak into the lives of others, to invest into the lives of others, that they grow in wholeness and in health, that God's purpose and plan would continue. So may you, may I, hear their helpless cries and may our hearts be touched so that we will reach out in love to care, to serve, to invest in, whether they're our own kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, students, or the kids of the world because they're all made in God's image. Now, international child care ministry is one of many prongs that God uses to reach into the lives of kids. And you can be a part in partnering with us. And it doesn't come easily. Whether you're raising your own kids or you're a teacher, you know that it can be exhausting. It requires something of us. But I think of, of kids like Kung, uh, Kung Song, who, uh, whose picture I have today. Uh, Kung Song is a, a 13-year-old boy in Myanmar, and he's an orphan. But someone is making an investment in his life intentionally. His name is Vung Vung. He's our national, international child care ministry director. Wow, that's a long title. He runs the program in Myanmar. Myanmar is a country, if you know anything about its history, formerly Burma, has been a very troubled place. It has led the lists for human rights violations for years. It's just within the last couple of years that God has begun to open up that country. And now international child care has an opportunity to reach in with love into kids' lives, kids like Kung Song. And so every month, Vung Vung, the director, he has to go take the, the funds and the school supplies to kids like Kung Song who live in a in an orphanage care home up in the north of the country. Now, that's not just an easy trip. Because, see, first, Vung Vung has to ride a bus for 28 hours. Then he has to get a motorcycle and go up these glorified dirt paths along these mountainsides in the, in the foothills of the Himalayas to reach the place that Kung and his uh, colleagues live. 
Now, Vung Vung always travels with at least three people because he says that when, and inevitably over that five-hour motorbike ride, one of the bikes tumbles off the gravel path and starts down the mountain, it takes three guys to pull the motorcycle back up. But he's willing to make that commitment because he know, he knows that the cries of kids like Kung touches his heart and God has a plan. And I'm grateful for him. And I'm grateful for the folks who will choose to sponsor Kung. Because uh, through International Child Care Ministry, for just $25 a month, those funds are sent through directors like Kung to kids to help provide for their educational needs, their nutritional needs, and help to provide tools so that they hear about Jesus Christ at an early age. Those are really the foundations that kids in our own culture take for granted. But without the nutritional support, without the educational needs, life becomes very bleak in many corners of the world. And fortunately, in providing for those uh, tangible needs, we have the opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ, which is really a deeper need uh, as well. But inter- I mentioned earlier, international child I love its flexibility because it's able to look a little different in the different parts of the world where we're at work. So, for example, in some countries like Egypt or Malawi or uh, parts of the Philippines or Mexico, the kids that uh, we have the opportunity to sponsor are generally the sons and daughters of pastors. They serve in very difficult conditions in a church that is in formation and where there are not many resources. These are not men and women that are drawing a salary and have a a sustainable livelihood uh, from the church. And so by helping to sponsor one or two of their kids, that $25 in their family's life makes a real difference that mom and dad are freed up to uh, be engaged in ministry because they know that they're children's educational and nutritional needs are cared for. And and so today I have Cecilia Banda. She's a a girl in uh, Malawi. I had an opportunity a few years ago to visit Malawi and to meet a child just like Cecilia, whose dad is in ministry, but because of the generosity of a sponsor, his daughter is able to be cool and, and be growing and developing. Cecilia just turned 15 on Wednesday of this last week, the 28th. What a great birthday gift for her to find out that she has a sponsor who's going to help see her through those last couple years of high school so she can complete her education, knowing that God is going to use her in incredible ways wherever life takes her. But there's other places of the world, such as uh, in Ethiopia. Haiti is International Child Care Ministry's largest uh, country of service. And elsewhere where ministry is done through schools, where specific churches sponsor schools, because you've got to remember, in some of those parts of the world, Haiti in particular, there is not government-provided education. And so these kids are not going to get educated elsewhere. And if there are schools, they're very expensive uh, relative uh, to pay the fees. And so I think of kids like Birakat uh, Desalong in Ethiopia, five-and-a-half-year-old girl, And she gets to go to school because a sponsor will help to pay her school fees, meet her nutritional needs, provide the uniform that they wear with such pride as school students. In places like Haiti in particular, 
Those kids are so glad to come to school, in part because they get lunch. And it may be the only meal they get every day. And Lucille, I remember those green trays and the lunch we would have. And while there was sometimes some nasty stuff on there, let me tell you, sister. You were grateful for that. But imagine if that was your only meal of the day. Thankfully for me, it was not. As you can tell, it was not. And so it's a a very real and tangible way to invest in the life of a child uh, somewhere around the world. But there's other special projects. There's, um, uh, There's residential care, hostel homes that have been developing in recent years. In fact, I have our newest uh, um, monthly update, and there's some copies in the lobby. You're welcome to grab one that talk about the hostel that just a couple of years ago was built in northern Thailand. This is an incredible way to, um, to fight human trafficking because in troubled places like northern Thailand, families that live in very remote areas have no cash income, have very limited uh, means, and often, out of desperation, have to sell one of their children so that the others can eat. Or to send their child off into the city under the premises that they're going to be cared for, only to find out that that child has ended up as a prostitute in Bangkok or exploited in a, in a factory somewhere. But by providing residential homes, those kids in the very remote villages can come and during the school week can uh, get education and love and support and then during breaks can uh, return to their family in those more remote places that don't have educational resources. But there's also special one-time projects. For example, for $50, you can provide a lifetime water filter that will provide a family in Haiti or in India with safe drinking water. Or uh, in India... The church has been booming there. And in fact, uh, this summer, National Child Care has partnered with the church because if we can provide $15,000, which sounds like a chunk, but listen to what that buys, we're going to allow 800 Indian teenagers to be trained who will then go out into the villages and hold vacation Bible schools that will reach 15,000 kids. Wow. What a great investment. Well, there's lots of opportunities. And again, I want to thank those of you who do support uh, uh, international child care and kids in whatever capacity, whether it's in your own home or around the world. But I do, in the lobby, have a table. I'll be there after the service, and I'd love to, to chat with you more. And if you would like to sponsor a kid or two or eight, uh, I do have others available with me today. As I say, it's a $25 monthly commitment. Uh, and hope is that you can sponsor that child through their uh, completion of high school. I know that doesn't always work out sometimes, uh, so don't feel like I can't sign up for this 15-year commitment right now because any prayer, any gift you give is a very real difference in that child's life. And just for you, and just today, we have a special from my garden. If you sponsor a free squash is that not incredible? If you sponsor two, you get some corn, too. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. If you're willing to take a squash, I will give you a child. That's a, you know how it gets with that squash. You've got to get rid of it. So, uh, but you're welcome to grab some out there. But I do appreciate the chance to be with you today. I think we're going to continue in worship. Uh, so as our team comes to lead us in one more song, thanks so very much for hearing God's Spirit, I hope, speak to you today.